0: Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom.
1: Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim as-salamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My name is Ali Diyah. I'm the executive director of Ta'lif. And with us is Dr. Will Caldwell and Sheikh Umair Hasib, where we'll be discussing today Ramadan Blues. We see so many people around us with this feeling of, I have to get this stuff done in Ramadan, or this feeling of like, I'm overwhelmed in Ramadan. And it might put you in a place of grief, right? Um, and it really hit me and struck me as well, because so many times in my life where I say, you know, this Ramadan is going to be the best Ramadan ever.
0: You know. Um Anxiety and depression are things that people are probably dealing with more profoundly right now than they ever have before. You know, I, I think it's important to address the fact that many people are coming into to this month of worship carrying those things. And those things can, you know, not only like affect your experience of the fast, But they can really, um, they can be something that if you don't have a proper understanding of what this fast is meant to do for you, um, you know, you you might miss the fact that hey, this like we mentioned in the last video, Ramadan is a medicine, Mm. Um, and even if I am coming to it uh, in a state that I would rather not be in, this may be exactly what I need.
1: Right, and like what we mentioned in the last video where we're talking about different technologies and social media and whatnot, I feel like that's heightened the sense of depression and anxiety amongst people. We feel kind of guilty that we're not happy. That's right. That's right. Like, I, I should
2: be happy. How could you say I'm sad? Is Ramadan. How could you you know? Like, there's something wrong with you if you actually are sad or you're um, depressed. But the Qur'an, God says we made human beings in anxiety. Like Allah's telling us, He's not guaranteeing us this level of joy that we're going to consistently feel, but He's actually guaranteeing us some anxiousness.
1: And it's interesting because like at some point in Ramadan, you might think less of yourself because you're not feeling as spiritual. Maybe, maybe you're just really bogged down because you're a mother and a father that has to take care of all the kids all day, right? Or maybe you have a job that really doesn't free, free you up for the night prayer, the tarawih prayer all the time, right? So you might feel like you're not spiritually there as everybody else. I would say it's quite the opposite. It's that you have such a high Iman, right? You have such a high belief system that your heart is saying, I wanna do this, I wanna do this. But your obligations that Allah knows very well knows the state that you're in and your intentions.
2: If you don't feel that spirituality at times, but you do it anyways, that might be the highest type of spirituality. Because you've you've destroyed your yourself, you've destroyed what's called this thing called the nafs, or you've gotten it out of the way. You're really not only doing it for God. Like I don't even want to do this, but like, and how many of the companions try to get easy? <laughs> they try to pay their way out of Ramadan. Right, the, the <laughs> they're can we just pay ourselves out of this? Like they understood that this is a very daunting task, let alone standing up in prayer, let alone reading a little bit of Quran. And God says in the Qur'an, we know, and it's, I believe in uh, Surah Muzammal, He says like, we know that you tried to and you couldn't do it. And to paraphrase the, the verse, right, we know that you tried to pray, all, but you, you only could pray a little bit. We know you tried to give, but you could only give a little bit. And then He says, you don't do good except for yourself, you'll find it with God. Mm-hmm. Like you don't do good, like this is all something that if you're looking for like, this is a long-term investment, and it's joy and it's celebration, may not happen instantly. This isn't Amazon Prime, like Netflix Ramadan. You know, this is something that, uh, like we may see the fruits of this Ramadan, God willing, five, 10, 15 years later.
1: You know, it's funny you say that because now, ever since I've been executive director of taleef I actually get <laughs> almost sad around Ramadan, right, because it, it's when the organization needs to work the most. It's one we need to make the most um, um, uh, funding, right, and support. So there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. The people who work at organizations, their Ramadan, they're barely getting tarawih, in. They're making sure tarawih is available for people coming into the spaces, but they themselves are barely getting it in, right? They feel at times deprived of the reality of Ramadan, and they get sad in it. Right. But th- really, one of the things that I think about is what you really said, which is like, this might be the opening that you get later on in life. The fact that you helped hundreds of people, right, fast in Ramadan, break their fast in Ramadan, or helped hundreds of people pray in a space in Ramadan. Like the uncles that are in parking lots every Ramadan and they're waving this thing. Right. <laughs> and, and everybody's getting mad at them. They're not praying a tarawih prayer at all. You're thinking they're not getting sad, but they're sacrificing something inside of them that eventually gives them, I think, the ultimate station. Right? Uh, but that's to say one thing, like you submit where Allah has placed you, right? And you submit in the position of Allah, which is completely what our tradition says, right? And it's like, it's a tradition of submission, right? It's okay to be sad. It's okay to have grief. Prophets, right? Prophets, when Sayyidina Yusuf was... Uh, quote unquote, was killed by a wolf, right? His father goes blind out of grief. Blind. Mm-hmm. Yet, did he decrease one iota in his belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Did he decrease one iota in his love and worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? No. It's a human thing to be sad, right? But how do we navigate that in the society nowadays, Will?
0: You know, th- there is something that I teach often in connection to Ramadan, and this is a case study that was done of people who had uh, like these super immune systems, right? Like they they just never got sick, Um, no matter like how badly they would get infected with something, like it just, it would not make them feel physically ill. Uh, And there's a special term for these people, I forget what they're called, but a study was done on them. Because, of course, they wanted to know, like, well, what do they have that other people don't? And the pattern that they noticed was that each one of these people had a grandparent who went through a period of profound starvation. So, like, you know, people who were like in the Great Depression in the United States, many of their grandchildren had these amazing immune systems. And of course, that's sort of like you know, a literal example of fasting, but that's not really my point. The point is that you, know, you may not see the benefit of your pain and sacrifice, like you said, for you know, 15, 20 years. That could be the reality. Um, but even looking intergenerationally, the benefit of what you're doing. That's amazing. It, it may be for someone else entirely. It may be for your great-grandchildren. Perhaps the sacrifice that you are making in this Ramadan, this year, is going to ensure the Iman of your great-grandchildren. That's
2: amazing. That's in the Quran, right? Surah al-Kahf. That's right. Their, their father was, their great-great or their ancestor was a righteous man. So God
1: saved them. Yeah, some people say up to 40, 40 generations before them that then you see the result of his righteousness with the, with the children. Which brings me to another point, like, uh, when we're talking about sadness and grief, I can't help but think, how was that first Ramadan after the passing of the Prophet <laughs> I can't even imagine. You want to talk about Ramadan blues? You had the light of prophethood in front of you, and then the next Ramadan you have to somehow keep it going without him there So
2: he passes away, in Rabbil Awwal, so at the month that he's born, he passes away. So you have You have this like sort of eight months, nine months to process, but you would expect them to come to Ramadan, obviously they're going to miss praying behind the Prophet if he's upon him. You know, um, breaking your iftar with the Prophet, like imagine you did it, you know, and the Prophet used to feed dates to his companions with hands and you're like, like who's going to feed me dates anymore? Um, we don't even, like, we get emotional thinking about it, and we haven't even seen him. But there was something really interesting about the companions that they actually thought that because he's not here, we need to go extra hard, and we need to push forth. And there's like very little, little actually written about this. And person, I could only find like a few writings on this, so that they actually went so, so, so hard to the fact that the son of Umar bin Khattab, he relates because of how hard that they were going, was like, you know, I went to the Prophet once and I said, Oh Messenger of God, I fast all day and every night I stand up all night, all night. And the Prophet said, don't do that. He said, don't do that, right? He said, fast for a few days um, outside Ramadan and fast Ramadan and pray a little bit of, the, of your night because your body has a right on you, your family has a right on you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they actually just thought that they needed to be, have more rigor and have more fervor in their worship because the Messenger of God was in here to do Him justice. Right, to honor Him. To honor Him. Then they also have to negotiate with themselves, like, how do I carry this baton without dropping it? Like, how do I carry on this baton without dropping it? And we can't, for us to, to relate, it's sort of like having Ramadan with the beloved elder or a, or a family member or a father that we don't have anymore.
1: Or a beloved teacher or scholar or teacher that you scholar. broke bread with all the time. All
2: the time, who taught us Ramadan, who just, you know, you're, you're, you're you know, the, the uncle in the masjid or the auntie in the masjid that will prepare iftar. And they're all of a sudden they're no longer there. It's almost like it's losing, there's something empty this Ramadan.
1: I think you answered it perfectly in saying like you're just carrying the baton. Even if you're not worthy of it. Right Right now we're in a generation now where we're carrying the baton. We've got to make sure this thing called Ramadan stays alive. Even if it makes, makes us um, at times question our spirituality, but isn't that what Ramadan is going to do anyways? Mm -hmm. And is it the sake of spirituality that we actually worship? No, it's not. We can't get wrapped up in that. And I think like the best that we could do for generations is that even if we feel internally sad or internally broken, right? There's times the Prophet, he's known when he's alone to be grief stricken. -stricken. And then when he's in in front of people, he's smiling. Does that mean the Prophet in any way, shape or form faking it? No. But the Prophet is passing a baton.
0: So the thing that struck me about that description of that first Ramadan after the passing of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is that it, you know, it sounds like the companions, uh, you know, in their sadness in their grief over him, they really just kind of handed themselves over to the process of Ramadan. Um, you know, there, there was this aspect of like reconstruction, but it was in an effort really to um, have this vehicle of worship that they could dwell in for the month and Clearly, clearly that worked because they did pass the baton. They passed it to us Um, and They passed it to us because Ramadan ended up carrying them right they gave themselves over to it and the effect the, um, that I think that thing that we are all looking for within the month, even if it was somber in nature, it ended up carrying them because we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation about Ramadan right now if it hadn't. And I think that is, you know, like while we can't guarantee what our feelings will be in any specific month or at any specific time, Uh, There is a promise from Allah that we have that in giving ourselves over to this month, I mean like literally like submitting to it, um, it will carry you, your ibadah, your worship will carry you. And it will carry you to somewhere that is going to be better than what you expect. it's, It's going to be better than what you could have planned for yourself. And I think that is, you know, for those of us who are maybe entering into this month with a sense of sadness, that, that is a seed of hope.
1: Inshallah, all of us this Ramadan, Allah will allow us to grab that baton firmly and pass it on to all the next generations after that. So hopefully 40 Ramadans from now that they, Inshallah, up. Hold this sunnah, uphold this love, and submit to what it is that the Prophet brought fully and beautifully. Jazakallah khair, my name is Ali Dia. I'm the executive director of Talif and Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you for tuning in.
0: Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'lifcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.